Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Friends, I feel like I owe you an apology. Um, We've had quite the busy fall, or at least I have. And so um, we've had some guest preachers come in and we had a service at the park with our fellow neighborhood churches at St. Paul and Holy Comforter. And so we're, you know, spotty on recording these sermons. Um, So thanks for sticking with us. And this Um, This upcoming sermon that I'm going to offer you is all about the spiritual practice of having a body. And so um, I'm going to, I'm going to read for y'all John chapter two, verses one through 12 and listen for a word from God. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the person in charge of the banquet. So they took it. When the person in charge tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, that person called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. So some of you know, I spend many Tuesday mornings at Drip Coffee Shop um, with our high schoolers. And it's something that I very much look forward to. Not only are they endlessly entertaining, I also learn a lot of important things from them, often having to like pivot what I've planned for our time together because they're already like three steps ahead of me. Um, And this happened a few weeks ago. I asked them to write down on a sticky note their own definition of spirituality. And they wrote things like being in touch with your thoughts and your feelings and also with a power that's bigger than you. Um, Or knowing what's going on inside of you and staying open to God or whatever you call God. And they did, after that, commence an argument on the genderedness of God. Uh, But these these were surprisingly mature definitions of spirituality. Um, So good job, parents. That was part one of our time together, though, on that Tuesday. But my whole lesson, if you want to call it that, would be a generous label indeed, but my whole lesson was about helping them grasp that bodies aren't antithetical to spirituality, however they define spirituality. 
I wanted them to set aside the baggage of thinking that our bodies are unrelated at best and a hindrance at worst to being spiritual, because this was most certainly the binary that I grew up with. Bodies and their earthly needs and desires and emotions, these were seen as roadblocks to true spirituality. Y'all, bless these high schoolers and then bless me even more. They do not carry this baggage. We moved through that first question of defining spirituality quite quickly, and then we moved on to my second question, can we experience spirituality in our bodies? And if so, how? They had no problem throwing out all sorts of great ideas on how spirituality is experienced in the body, from running to journaling, to spending time with animals, to Reagan's nightly chat with whoever's listening about her day when she's lying in bed taking walks, speaking with a caring person, lighting a candle, taking deep breaths. All of my finely prepared words on how those silly Greek philosophers gave us the unhelpful binary between bodies bad and spirit good, they were not necessary for these fresh faces. These kids knew that the only experience of God and of their inner and outer worlds was to be experienced in the body God gave them. Imagine that. But I'm going to take a wild guess that most of us in this room have a much different spiritual relationship with our bodies. Some of us grew up in traditions where you worked your whole life to save your soul from your body. It was seen as an impediment to God, not an avenue. Some of us grew up in church purity cultures where sexuality became the defining mark and purpose of a body, especially a woman's body. And you know what? that mark left scars. Some of us grew up thinking that you only brought your best body in its best clothing to church, but when your body struggled to look acceptable, whatever that meant, church was the last place you or maybe your parents wanted to be. Some of us didn't even need to step into a church to have an adversarial relationship with our bodies. We heard enough in the classical education with the Greek philosophers' division and elevation of soul from matter, or Descartes' opposing reason from nature, or Freud's dark room of analysis, right? And then you can just add Victoria's Secret and men's health ads on top of that, and it's small wonder that some of us have worked so hard to course correct with our own children. Proof of success in my conversation with these high schoolers. The complicated relationship that people in religion have with the body can be seen in this somewhat hilarious story Barbara Brown Taylor shares, where she arrives at a church a bit early that she's she's going to preach there that day. And she's wandering around even before the pastor arrives. But there is one congregant in there polishing silver. Barbara Brown Taylor wanders up behind the altar, where there's this gorgeous painting of Jesus emerging from the tomb, lilies in the grass, sleeping soldiers on the rock. Jesus is thin, but strong. He's got his scars on his hands and his legs where the nails were, but they're etched. They're not gory or anything. And yet, Barbara Brown Taylor sensed something's missing in the picture. And as a congregant who was polishing the silver, as she approached her to talk about the merits of the painting, the first thing out of Taylor's mouth was, he's got no armpit hair or chest hair. And then she continues, it's like he's a six-year-old boy. <laughs> and the congregant's mortified and walks away. 
But in that book, in The Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor, she just she dedicates a whole chapter on the spiritual practice of wearing skin. And she notes that despite our complicated relationship with our bodies, every single spiritual practice begins with the body. Here we sit, she says, with our souls tucked away in this marvelous luggage, mostly insensible to the ways in which every spiritual practice begins with the body. And then in the chapter, she advocates regular prayer sessions, and I'm going to advocate this too, y'all, she's onto something, regular prayer sessions fully naked in front of the mirror as an antidote to loathing your body. She says, this can only go on so long, our loathing of our body, especially for someone who officially believes that God loves flesh and blood, no matter what kind of shape it's in. Whether you're sick or well, lovely or irregular, there comes a time when it's vitally important for your spiritual health to drop your clothes, look in the mirror and say, here I am. This is the body like no other that has shaped or that my life has shaped. I live here. This is my soul's address. And she continues, after you have taken a good look around, you may decide that there's a lot to be thankful for, all things considered. Bodies take real beatings. That they heal from most things is an underrated miracle. That they give birth is beyond reckoning. We will do some body spiritual practices at church today. And if you're listening to this, I'll lead you in some of those. Um, but not this one. <laughs> you do this one on your own. I do encourage you to try it yourself, embodying that same spirit of kindness that God has for you. But today, I want us to reckon with how much or how little we invite the ordinary needs of the body and the meeting of these needs to be foundational spiritual experiences for us. How are the ordinary needs and sensations of the body foundational spiritual experiences, folks? Our scripture this Sunday is from early in the Gospel of John. At this point, Jesus has not started his heady pontifications about the spiritual life that John's Gospel is known for. Instead, we hear in the story from Jesus himself that he really hasn't started doing anything at all that could be considered out of the ordinary. His ministry has not yet begun. Until the wedding party runs out of wine. Running out of wine could be the end to what is supposed to be a joyful ceremony of community. It could be the end of good conversations, declarations of affection, and a feast that was meant to feed the area people. It could also mean social ruin for a family. Mary, Jesus's mother, seems to know what's at stake. So she does almost like this classic motherly thing and just gives Jesus a little shove into the spotlight. Just do what my son says, she says to the staff. And Jesus's first miracle, his first act of spirituality in the Gospel of John is to ensure that the bodies of those around him are sustained in their delight with wine. Jesus's first spiritual act and miracle is one that delights the body. To us, knowing what is ahead of him, this might seem frivolous, but his ministry actually starts here in the Gospel of John. The writer of this gospel could have started the narrative of Jesus's ministry literally anywhere else, but they chose this story. Jesus' first endeavor into the world of enhanced spiritual power was to take water and turn it into wine. It is that simple. It is that flavorful, that fleshly, that integrated into culture, that communal, that embodied. 
we do not have to look off into a monastery or quiet all the noise around us or create a space where we're not interrupted by our own body's needs and desires. It is in fact in the very location of these needs and desires that our spirituality has a fighting chance, that our spirituality dwells in fact, embodied in the only place we'll ever know, the only place we'll ever know God, our bodies. So what I offer today, what I offered in the space of the service and what I offer to you today is to create a space um, to get in touch with your five senses. The sermon's great engages your ears. But I'm asking you after you listen to this sermon to get out of your head into your body. And I will tell you the four stations that we had um, in worship. And if you would like to create these yourself, or just go and explore based on these, by all means. So we had a site station where I put up some artwork, different artwork of Jesus, of Bible stories, some of them abstract, some of them very real life. And the prompt for that station was, where do you see God emerge with your eyes? Where do you see God emerge with your eyes? Go look at the world. How does the spiritual emerge? Now, we also had a sensation station, and I encourage you to do a little bit of this. We had our baptismal bowl full of water to dip your hands into, even put a little water on your head. Remember your welcome and the baptism of your body. We also had a little bowl of items like lentils, small things that you could dip your hand into to feel the caress and the gentleness of that. Um, we had some warm heated pads, um, some rice pads that people could put their hand on to feel the warmth. And the prompt for that table was, how do you feel the divine in your life? How do you feel that inner world in your body, in your life? We also, and this is my favorite, um, had a smell station and each of the stick had been anointed, very churchy word, anointed with an oil with a distinct scent. Scents are often the strongest ties we have to our memories at home, during holidays, even at church. And so there was the scent of frankincense or of peppermint. There was lavender. And so what I, what I asked was for people to think of what memories of God's grace are held in these smells. Maybe for you, it's simply lighting a candle. What smells remind you of God? And then we had a stretch station. And if you did yoga, I mean, you were, by all means, we had yoga mats out, you could do it. But I also had up very simple stretches and postures that you could sit in to feel your body. Um, and the prompt for that station was, how does inhabiting this body help me inhabit God's creation more fully? And we didn't have a specific sound station because we had some music playing in the background. Um, and perhaps you've had enough sound <laughs> with my voice. But if you like those blessed high schoolers, do not have any baggage about finding God in your embodied life. Please go and enjoy these creative prompts. Go try them out. But if it takes you a bit more effort to connect what you feel and you sense with the presence of God, use today as a starting off point to pay attention throughout your week for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that happens even as close as your very flesh. So 
I, I encourage you, if you have the time now to turn off the recording and to enter into your body in whatever ways you feel called. Enjoy and amen.